Cleanthus Xanthopoulos grew up in Greece with an interest in science and business. His academic achievements gave him the choice of where to pursue his advanced studies. Well, he chose Sweden because it enabled him to remain in Europe without having to switch to the local language. Eventually, he relocated to the United States, where he played a key role in the Human Genome Project before turning to entrepreneurship. As chairman and CEO of Shoreline Biosciences in San Diego, he's shepherding the development of advanced cell therapies based on the research of Dr. Dan Kaufman. California embraced stem cell research at a time when there was some hostility elsewhere. Years later, the effects are very evident, with San Diego emerging as a key place for stem cell advancement and with a growing impact on patients. Shoreline goes beyond T-cells to focus on natural killer cells, developing allogeneic therapies that do not have to be customized for each patient. If successful, that should reduce costs and time, and it will widen the pool of patients who can benefit. I'm David Williams, host of the Health Biz Podcast and president of Health Business Group, a strategy consulting firm that helps companies like Shoreline develop robust growth plans. Reach out to me, dwilliams at healthbusinessgroup.com, if you'd like to discuss strategy for your company. Meanwhile, do me a favor and subscribe to the Health Biz Podcast. Well, Glanthus Xanthopoulos, Chairman and CEO of Shoreline Biosciences, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. So I'm going to talk uh, quite a bit about Shoreline, but before we get to that, uh, there's a lot of interesting ground to cover in your own life. So uh, if you don't mind, love to hear about it a little bit and maybe starting back with your childhood and wondering, you know, did you have any particular childhood influences that uh, affected your kind of career and life path? Yeah, I, I come from a family of uh, very curious people that uh, always loved and embraced science and, um, uh, also in parallel, um, being very much exposed to business. So I had a dual track, if you like, uh, throughout my childhood where science was very fascinating. I was good enough at school to be recognized and, and, and be able to, to get a good education in, in, in Greece, where I'm originally from. And, and then through a number of uh, scholarships and um, awards, I, um, I was able to uh, go to Sweden and, and conclude my graduate work in uh, getting a master's and a PhD before I moved to the United States uh, uh, to begin my career as, uh, as a biotech executive. And why Sweden? I was actually uh, in Sweden recently for the first time, but I didn't, uh, I wasn't un unclear about the path from uh, Greece to Sweden. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to have a very uh, very nice uh, uh, support by the Greek government as one of the scholars uh, as I was graduating at, um, at the top of my class and had the ability to uh, choose where I wanted to go. And um, uh, I liked Sweden because you could um, immediately emerge into your graduate work uh, do, utilizing English as opposed to learning the native language. Um, and at the time, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to move continent. So I wanted to stay in Europe. Uh, and it was basically between the Nordic countries and, and the Netherlands. Uh, if I wanted to um, not um, wait to learn the native language. So uh, that's why I focused there. Um, the UK was an option, but uh, I didn't like the weather. Yeah, fair enough. Now, Sweden is great, especially uh, if you're there during June. Exactly. <laughs> 
So in any case, uh, you have obviously huge experience from uh, you know, an educational standpoint and, and career and, and also in different uh, geographies. I'm curious about uh, maybe hearing about your, your path um, you know, once really joining up with the biotech industry in the U.S., and what that experience has been like and, 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 and what it's like having the kind of cross-cultural experience of, you know, Southern and Northern uh, Europe as, as well as the U.S. And if that, you know, brings anything uh, to, your, to your work other than, the, you know, the variety of, uh, of weather and cuisine. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting point, David. And the, um, um, what eventually we are, uh, we're the result of different experiences we have as we grow up and, and get influenced by a number of, of uh, cultures. And, and uh, to me, uh, I thought it was incredibly interesting to uh, be emerging in diversity. In the United States, of course, you see diversity on a daily basis. In Europe, uh, at least when I was growing up, it was slightly different. Uh, Southern Europeans are different than Northern Europeans, and you usually interact only in the summer when they come to um, to, to spend their holiday. So to be able to expose to the wonderful Nordic uh, culture um, as a South and European was uh, incredibly rewarding and, and opened up my eyes to be much more inclusive and, and accepting of, uh, of a variety of uh, different ideas that people look at the same thing um, and, and come to different conclusions based on, on their backgrounds. And so I think I was armed... Um, with a very strong concept of allowing a very open culture, inclusion, diversity, uh, things that have become now very, uh, very much in, in, in vogue. Um, and that experience I took with me when I came to United States. Uh, I was a faculty associate professor at the Karolinska Medical Institute uh, when I was recruited to join the National Institutes of Health and participate in a historical project of uh, mapping the human genome. Um, and from there, I came to, uh, to San Diego so um, to join a company called Aurora Biosciences. And you can immediately see how uh, all of these uh, exposures to different cultures and different aspects of, of your life can be translated into how you build a successful company uh, because the biggest asset is its people. And um, the, 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 in order to have that as a huge asset for your company, you need to have that kind of diversity and, and inclusion uh, to be able to get the best out of a variety of, of different opinions and, and different experiences. And, and that was very, very good for me. Now, you mentioned uh, your role in the Human Genome Project, which is, I think, in the, in the mid to late 1990s. And even at the time, it was considered to be very historic, you know, we're hearing about things uh, at, that, at that moment. And I think, if anything, like the Internet, it's, it's proven to be perhaps even more profound over time. What was that experience like at the time? And as you reflect back on it, you know, 25 years later, uh, what has been the broader meaning of it for you? It has a profound impact on, on my scientific career and, and impressions of how you use science to advance human healthcare. Um, to be able to, even for a short time, and I was there for about two and a half years, um, you know, to be able to be at NIH and Building 49, the Human Genome Research Institute, uh, led by Francis Collins at the, at the time, now the director of NIH, about to be retired, unfortunately. Um, it was something... Um, amazing because you had a 
people that understood the uh, historic impact of, of, uh, of doing what we were doing at the time. Um, and so passion, dedication, commitment, long hours, uh, all of this was uh, really uh, to support uh, what we all were trying to do, which was a historical thing to, to map ultimately and sequence the human genome. Uh, so it, it was one of these things that, um, especially me as an extrovert, um, you, you gain so much energy from the energy around you and everybody was committed, enthusiastic, working extremely hard. It was one of these highs in, in one's career that um, is unforgettable. At some point, you ran into Dr. Dan Kaufman, and I know that this led in some way to the formation of Shoreline. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Kaufman and, and his work in IPSC? Yeah, I have been in, in San Diego for now 24 years, and I've been involved in, um, again, as a founding CEO of, of four different companies, uh, Shoreline being my, my fifth, um, obviously had a lot of interactions with UCSD throughout the years, the University of California here in San Diego. And I knew a lot of the uh, prominent professors through um, local interactions. Um, Dan's uh, work um, is extremely impressive. His name is out there. Anytime you talk about pluripotent stem cells, hematopoietic stem cells, natural killer cells, etc. Um, and we here as a local community were very fortunate to recruit him uh, out of Minnesota about seven years ago. And he joined um, UCSD as a professor of regenerative medicine. So I knew Dan from his work. I didn't know him um, very well personally until about two years ago when our paths crossed and uh, we shared the same vision of, of creating a unique company uh, focusing on, on cell therapy, utilizing as a core a lot of the technologies that he has developed uh, over the last 20 years um, and making a, a legacy company that will have a lasting impact on seriously ill patients. And that was the concept that um, united, uh, excited us and put us into a path to uh, create Soreline. And I'm extremely pleased that uh, we did meet and, and had that kind of a connection. Yeah, I seem to remember that some years ago, and I should, I should look this up before we got on, but uh, state of California, I think had a referendum and, and, and put some funding in place for stem cell research, particularly at a time where it was threatened on a national basis. Has, has some of that, has there been an impact uh, from that action, if I'm remembering it? Um, correctly and making California maybe even more of a center for uh, cell therapy than it would have been otherwise? You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, does, uh, it does have a, a, a huge impact um, and it's a long lasting impact. Um, the, um, the, the Center for Stem Cell Research um, for the state of California was decided to be here in, in San Diego um, and it's been operational now for several years. And in fact, um, Dan's laboratory is housed within that, that center. So it's not um, in the um, UCSD campus per se, uh, but, uh, but at this uh, particular center. So um, there's a huge impact. And I think the focus on stem cells and the fact that this was ultimately decided to be placed in San Diego has created that kind of a core that has now made San Diego sort of a mecca for cell therapists because we have a half a dozen really good companies focusing on, on cell therapies in, in San Diego. And I think that's going to uh, become uh, even a stronger basis for uh, developing and promoting 
uh, cell therapies, which I, I believe are, are, have the potential to change the course of medicine. Yeah, if you could say a little bit more about, you know, the potential for cell therapies and, and what some of the challenges are, that would be interesting to hear, it, you know, from where I'm sitting, which is in, in Boston, I'm sure there's some cell therapy going on here, but a lot of times you see things grouped into sort of, you know, gene slash cell therapy without it necessarily being broken out and considered um, separately, at least in the, you know, sort of the popular press. So what can you say about the state of cell therapies and, and you know, where it's headed? Yeah, it's... Um... It's very interesting. Um, I think there are clearly two distinct principles, right? Gene therapies is, is one, cell therapies are, are different. There's a lot of commonality in terms of some of the technologies that we're using. We're using viral vectors to transduce cells, to maybe do some editing in these cells to make them more intelligent or, or, or so. But the absolute um, idea is, is different. The concept is for gene therapy to, to, to carry a, a, and correct potentially a gene through some sort of a, of a vector, typically a viral vector. In cell therapies, your drug is actually the cell. And I will, uh, as we go through discussing our vision, uh, we literally see uh, ultimately off the self cell therapies that are used like very similarly um, to what antibodies are used or eventually, you know, as you are um, thinking of taking a pill, we need to, to make that standardized, um, affordable, and accessible through community hospitals. So I think they need to be separated, uh, gene therapies and cell therapies. Um, in, in, um, in the cell therapy space, um, if you think about the, the concept, uh, we have been using cell therapies for at least the last 50 years. Bone marrow transplantation is a cell therapy, and that works extremely well, uh, as we know, and, and has been life-saving for, for many, many patients. Um, um, Dan is an MD, PhD, and he's actually a hematologist. And he was his exposure to that bone marrow transplantation 20-some years ago that um, made him start thinking, hey, maybe we can, we can broaden that aspect of, of how we utilize cells to treat diseases. Um, and of course, what has happened in the last uh, 10 years is uh, legendary companies like Kite, now part of Gilead and Juno, um, introduced the concept of so-called CAR T therapies, utilizing T cells, uh, uh, lymphocytes in, uh, in, in, in our, of our immune system, but armed with chimeric antigen receptors that target those cells to specific tumors. Uh, we now have over six approved drugs for certain hematological tumors, and that opened up the real the big vision of we can manipulate these effector cells we can standardize them we can arm them we can make them stronger so they can survive longer in in the body to fight the tumors um, and and potentially make them affordable and accessible to many many uh, patients now where shoreline comes in is while all this has been happening in, with the T cell as the effector cell, we have now um, realized that uh, you know, our immune system is comprised of many different cell types, including so-called natural killer cells um, and macrophages. And we can do the exact same thing if you have the technology. A lot of times when these you know, technologies and breakthroughs have to be communicated to the public, uh, the nomenclature is helpful. And I think 
that uh, cell therapy's done a pretty good job. So CAR T is not a bad name, but natural killer sounds very appealing. Uh, so I'm handed <laughs> to you for uh, using that name. And but I want to know if you could just explain again what what's the advantage of working with the NK cells and natural killer cells compared with the T cells? Yes. Um, it started with um, some extremely impressive data uh, on CAR T cell on hematological tumors, right? We saw some <clears throat> complete uh, responses in patients with these tumors in the range of 60-70%, which were unheard of. However, uh, uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, for a percent of, percentage of these uh, patients, we saw some significant side effects and, and, and potential deaths, mainly uh, cytokine um, cytokines response uh, syndrome, graft versus host, um, basically the uh, T cells uh, that you're introducing are staying in for a long time and ultimately being recognized as, uh, um, as a source of mounting uh, uncontrolled immune response that leads to these very significant side effects. So while they're extremely powerful, um, they uh, they have have some significant side effects. NK cells, however, have been used now for a number of years in several hundred patients, and what we're seeing is lack of these um, side effects. So we don't see cytokines release syndrome. We don't see grass versus uh, host disease. They appear to be um, much less um, potent in terms of eliciting a negative response yet they maintain their effectiveness against um, a number of uh, hematological tumors. There are now half a dozen companies um, and more to come that um, are using NK cells, natural killer cells, as effectors in the clinic. And we continue to be very impressed with the safety profile as well as the efficacy profile of, of these uh, effector cells versus uh, what we've seen with CAR-Ts. Now, one of the challenges that I'm aware of for gene therapy, and I think it applies often in cell therapy as well, is the need to customize the treatment for the individual patient. And I understand that adds to the, the time and the cost and the complexity. Is that in fact an issue with, with cell therapy and does it affect what you're doing? It absolutely is. And we are very fortunate at Shoreline that we have um, uh, taken a different route to precisely solve that problem. So you're referring to what is called as an autologous cell therapy, in which case we, we come in, we look at the patient, um, we meaning the industry so far, um, will go through a process called leukapheresis, where you take out the, the immune cells of, of the patient, and then you go to the lab, expand them, manipulate them, and several weeks later, you reinfuse them back to the patient. So there's a number of issues with that. Number one, it takes time. And unfortunately, you know, at least in the clinical trials initially, these patients are severely ill and they may not have, you know, three, four, five weeks. Um, second is that they may not have enough cells to start with, which of course um, is problematic because you want to give as many effector cells that you have armed now with the, with the so-called chimeric antigen receptors then give them back to the patient. And, and if you start from a very low level, you're not going to achieve um, a maximum efficacy. So, and, and the third is, of course, the cost, because this is all very costly. It has to be done in, in um, very specialized centers, etc. We took a different approach, um, and this is, again, Dan Kaufman's uh, work and focus over the years in so-called pluripotent stem cells. And the pluripotent stem cells 
are essentially cells that have been reprogrammed to go back to the um, initial state. Um, that's why they call pluripotent. They have the potential to be differentiated into dozens of different cell types, depending on how you culture them and what kind of conditions you apply as they differentiate. Um, and the Kaufman Laboratory and others have shown that you could direct differentiation of these cells into hematopoietic stem cells um, and from there to specific hematopoietic lineages, including natural killers, macrophages, and potentially T cells. Now, what does that do? That is a truly allogeneic. In other words, we have a pluripotent stem cell uh, line in our, in our freezers um, and we can take that up and differentiate it into uh, natural killer cells and macrophages. <clears throat> and they're truthfully off the self therapies now. They're literally in our freezers until a patient comes and they're ready to be administered. That uh, eliminates all the risks that I described, uh, plus, of course, reduces significantly the cost of these therapies and the accessibility of that, because we could eventually move away from the big specialized academic centers and embrace uh, community hospitals so that we can get to as many patients in, in need as possible. And that's the beautiful thing about what Shoreline and other companies that are focusing on pluripotent stem cells um, are, are, are doing. Now, having said that, it is a combination of art and science to be able to do that with pluripotent stem cells. It takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of, of, uh, of know-how, um, and that's where, where uh, Sorline excels. You mentioned earlier in the conversation Kite, and I believe that Shoreline has actually done some collaboration with Kite and Beijing, another company, uh, earlier this year. Is that right? And what are those collaborations about? That is correct. We were extremely pleased to engage with uh, Kite uh, and uh, Beijing. Uh, both of these companies are um, extremely innovative, and they shared our vision, which is um, ultimately the cell therapies of the future have to be based on allogeneic, therefore pluripotent stem cells as, a, as the engine. They have to be a, a effective, safe, and, and truly off, off the self. And both companies realize that uh, you need, as I was just mentioning, uh, this core technology and the know-how. And after um, doing their diligence in the landscape and talking to many different companies, they both focused on Shoreline as being the premier company uh, in the space, or at least uh, one of the premier companies in the space. Um, and we were able to create two very uh, strategic and fundamentally um, uh, transformative partnerships for, for Shoreline. So Kite and Bayesian together brought their expertise to the table, their know-how in terms of biological targets, specific indications. What we bring to the table is pluripotent stem cells, how we create those cell therapies. And together we, we are working towards a very, um, very healthy pipeline of over 10 programs that we plan to start introducing into the clinic starting in at the end of next year. And then with a cadence of one to two new programs in the clinic uh, on, a, on an annual basis. Um, they also, in addition to expertise, know-how and validation brought significant 
financial support for, for our company. We received over $100 million up front. Uh, these deals, if they go well, we, we uh, will receive over $4 billion and, and then royalties in, in the uh, products that we develop together once they, they become commercialized. So it's been an incredible validation uh, for, uh, for Shoreline, but importantly, we really have built a, a, a true partnership uh, between us and Kite and us and Beijing, where the teams work together to um, address all the challenges that one faces in, in drug development. Well, I hope that you get the $4 billion and even more because that will mean uh, that some wonderful things have happened for patients. So we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that. I want to ask you one final question, and that is changing the subject a bit, um, but a question I ask for all my guests, which is, uh, have you read any interesting books recently? Is is there anything that you would recommend for our listeners? Yeah, I'm a big buff of uh, historical uh, books and historical fiction, so, um, and being Greek, I've been um, reading a, a a very interesting book about the uh, naval battle of Salamis, um, uh, which fundamentally changed the uh, the the history of of Western civilization. Uh, it's by Javier Negrete, and it's called Salamis. It's a great book for those who um, want to see the human element on situations where life and death are online, and and how one makes some decisions that potentially affect not just themselves but uh, you know historically change the the, the course of, uh, of 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 humans um, great well that sounds like an interesting one and one that i have not heard uh before from a guest so i'll be sure to check that out well cleanthus xanthopoulos chairman and ceo of shoreline biosciences thank you very much for joining me today on the health biz podcast My pleasure. I appreciate very much the invitation and it was extremely nice talking to you. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.